Welcome to another episode of your Wild and Exposed podcast. Before we begin today's show, we have an exciting announcement from our sponsor, Precision Camera in Austin, Texas, the largest camera store between New York and L.A. Precision Camera is offering Wild and Exposed listeners a free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images with free shipping as well within the United States. To get this, go to our website at wildandexposed.com. On our homepage, go to the menu at the top right and go to our sponsors page. There, you'll find a quick link to Precision Camera. And once you're on their page, go to the option for a virtual consultation with one of their friendly and knowledgeable staff that will be more than happy to discuss and answer any questions that you might have for gear that you're interested in. At the conclusion of your visit, they'll give you a coupon code that will give you access to order this free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images. By supporting Precision Camera, you're also supporting your favorite podcast, Wild and Exposed. Now, on with today's show. Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure nature and outdoor photography podcast wild and exposed is hosted by mike morrow ron hayes jason loftus and mark raycroft thanks for tuning in welcome to another episode of wild and exposed podcast we got a full crew today michael morrow coming to us from alaska jason loftus coming to us from utah and mark raycroft from ontario Canada. Michael. Yes. How was the uh, earthquake or did you guys even feel it? Didn't even feel it. It was uh tsunami warnings, but that wasn't for around here as much as down. Yeah, it said it was like Kenai 25 miles or I don't know, it's a long ways underwater. Yeah. And I think it was out on the Aleutians, which I'm not sure how far I was going to look at that and just see how far my air miles wise or as a crow flies, how far it was from Anchorage, but it's got to be. I don't know. I don't even want to sound stupid and say something. <laughs> Eight point two is a biggie. There'd probably yeah. be some aftershocks on that one. Yeah, and I didn't even hear if there were any tsunamis at all anywhere close by or not. I don't know why, but I was watching the reports and they said they took all the warnings off, so it didn't sound like. Mark, you're shaking your head. Were you watching it? Oh, it was just in the news feeds. Yeah, it didn't seem to be any. And But I did see a truck on all the photographs or all the news feeds of these vehicles coming down at a homer, and it looked like Mike's truck in front. It's like, <laughs> man, go, Mike, get out of there. <laughs> it's the only only Toyota in Alaska, right? Yeah. Yep, I got the only <laughs> one. It's highly sought after. It didn't. It sounded like uh, it was a scare, and and a lot of people were going to higher ground, but it didn't seem to come to fruition. That's good. Lots of media though, because that's, yeah, eight point two is a biggie. That's a big one. Yep. Yeah, I was thinking too. I mean, can you imagine if you were on the Homer Spit or anywhere on that coast, and the tsunami did hit? It would be and the siren goes off, and you yeah, you and everybody else is trying to get off of there. Yeah, yeah, that would be a bad day. And Jason. You are actually headed a lot closer to the epicenter than than Mike is currently. 
You ready for some aftershock action? <laughs> yeah, my luck, it'll be, that was the teaser and the, the big one will hit when I get there. <laughs> yeah, let's hope not. But yeah, that it, it was a big one. It was a scare for, for folks up there, but sounds like, you know, from what Mark saw and, and what I've seen, it, it all went about as good as it could have gone, having it be that far off of, uh, off the shore. So it's been a while since we've all been together and done one of these and going to do some pro tips tonight. How's everybody been? Been good. Been really good here. Fantastic. Have you gotten out? It's been uh, some, yeah, it's, it's been so long. I'm embarrassed to say I probably have two or three more gray hairs in my goatee or on my head. It's been a while guys. That one in your nose that we got plucked out of there before the show started. Oh, you're such a funny guy. <laughs> there was nothing there. <laughs> Playing with my chain, buddy. <laughs> get the get the junkyard dog going. Um, but yeah, no things things have been fine. Things are opening up. There's a lot of excitement. The Canadian border is opening in a couple of weeks for our American friends that are vaccinated. That's good for tourism. It was a bit of a surprise, not to be political, that it wasn't reciprocated because you would think the northern part of the U.S. would want the Canadians to get in there and spend their money too. But maybe uh, August 21st is what it looks like for that. I do have plans uh, at some point to get down to the Adirondacks in New York, but obviously I'm not going to fly for that distance, which you can do. It's all a bit odd, but to drive. So it'd be later, well, be a month anyway. We're close to it, but it's exciting. A lot of things are opening up and and um, less stress, you know, which is a big deal after this year. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's, it's been good lately. Not not as much anxiety going out because it's the the case count of the, whatever that virus was called. I seem to forget, but I don't um, is way down in where we are in Canada. Thankfully, so it's yeah. Been out photographing deer. It's one of my favorite summertime things to do. And the fawns running around, bucks in velvet. Mm-hmm. How about you, Ron? I've tried to get out and get some fawns. I was in uh, Colorado last weekend for a family reunion, and we took one day, went up to the to uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, and actually saw more moose than I did elk for the first time ever. Two really nice bulls, and one that's he's he's a monster for a Shiras elk. Uh, which are the or Shiras elk, Shiras moose, which are the smallest of the moose in North America. Um, he was he was a big, respectable bull. And then you know the smoke was intense, but the smoke provided a couple opportunities. Um, one valley, it just, I mean, it just made all the layers of ridges coming down and in and out of this valley. Every little. Every little drainage that came into this valley, it just intensified the uh, the ridge lines, and to get an image in that smoke was was pretty spectacular. I honestly thought about going back and shooting it again, since you know the fires are still rolling down there. It it's definitely a landscape worth exploring a little bit and finding the best angle for. So that's been good. But other than that, I've been doing a lot of commercial stuff um, and a lot of learning. I've been taking a course on editing to try to expedite that process. Yeah. Yes, Michael, it sucks. 
<laughs> it's like starting over. I feel like I can jump into Lightroom. I, I can do anything that anybody could do in Lightroom. Jump into Photoshop, and I'm still kind of a novice there. But editing, I'm I'm in the way beginner stages of uh, using Final Cut or Premiere, either one, and being able to get things edited quickly. I can get it done, but getting it done quickly and efficiently is a different story. So I'm working on that. And all these classes, everybody's got their little tips and tricks, and it's fun to explore different styles and, and find one that works for me. Is that all online, or what are you doing? It's it's all online, yeah. Um, about a 48-terabyte RAID system because video files are humongous and trying to decide how to organize those and and uh, keep those is that 48 terabytes is already a quarter gone just with what I have now. So it, it goes fast. And then I'm, I also am doing what Mike does for his backups. Just get the little externals, the, you know, eight terabyte external and, for either a project or um, my my files for the year, and and then I have a backup that I can keep elsewhere, keep in a safe, in another location, that kind of thing. So it's a it's a big deal once you start working for other people, making sure those files stay secure, and that you you have backups. So that's that's going to be when we get into pro tips. I'm going to get into that a little bit more in depth, but yeah. So, so Mike, real quick, why, why, because he, he just brought that up. Um, on a shoot like, like if you went and did a two week long shoot, <laughs> and it was for, uh, you know, working for whoever, what, what kind of memory would you take just to be prepared? Would you, how many terabytes of data uh, of storage would you take? On the last one we just did was fourteen days. I took twenty, or it took fifty terabytes. Fifty terabytes. Wow. And, and part of that is your backup? Yeah, so half. So 25 terabytes was the what we thought we would shoot, and we did. We filled it up. So I just take the 5 terabyte Lassie or 5 terabyte G-Tech or G-Ray. G-Tech, I think is what they are. They're the little rugged drives with the rubber around them. So I just take five five terabytes for the main master, and then I take five for the safety. And then when I finish a job, I send the masters to the client and then I keep the safeties. And as soon as they have it dumped onto their system, then I erase the safeties and use them on the next job. Wow. And that's the, the 10 day project that we did. We only had, you know, Mike had multiple guys filming on reds and their huge files. Um, we only had one guy. The demand for memory was a little bit smaller, but we still had, uh, I think 12 terabytes of memory in, in 10 days. So, yeah. So that's why I've always refrained from buying the raid like you did, Ron, just cause you just, if you're shooting a big project like that, you can fill up the whole project, the whole raid with just one project. So it's, it's, there is no perfect solution nowadays for the amount of data we create. I just don't even know how to get around it. I, I have a, an old laptop that I just, it does nothing but copy data from drives to other drives to free up drives to, I mean, it just is constantly copying something to somewhere to try to free up these drives to, you know, you always want the little drives to, 
to manage your stuff in the field. And then when you get back, you can put it on bigger drives. And the only difference between the little drives and the bigger drives is the bigger drives require power. So if you're using these little Lassies or the little GTEC, they're powered through the connection, the USB-C connection. But if I'm going to put it on like an 8 terabyte, really slow Seagate drive, those drives require power. So you have to be plugged into the wall somewhere. So it's just, they're super slow and they're just, but for backups, it's fine. If it's just something that you would just want to make sure that you don't lose, that's great. But you have to do that when you're back, you know, at, a, at the home base or whatever. And, and that seems to make the most sense. But I just don't want to tie up all the ports on my, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't want to tie up all the ports on my MacBook, you know, because that's the downside with the MacBook is you only have on the, on the MacBook Pro, there's only four ports and one's for power. So then you're down to three ports for managing all your data. So when I'm out on an assignment too, I use a program called ShotPut. It's called ShotPut Pro. And that basically, the fastest way to do it in the field is, so on this last job, we shot Red, we shot Phantom, we shot GoPro, we shot Drone, we shot... Um, a little bit of iPhone stuff. So if different people do it different ways, but what I do is I take a solid state drive, a two terabyte solid state drive. So right when we're in for the day, I'll put all my data in organized files on this solid state drive. And then I can use this program called ShotPut that'll then take it from the shot, from the solid state drive to the other, to the master drive and to the safety drive all at once. So it's making that multiple copies. And then what it does is it, it checks them or it verifies that all the drives are the exact same. And so I let it do it overnight. So if you're going to, if you're going from a solid state drive, which is a fairly fast drive with the USB-C connection to these USB-C Lassie or rugged drives, that will take six to eight hours for up to two terabytes. So it has to be done overnight. If you don't do it all off of one drive, then what you're doing is you're what you're setting your alarm for an hour from now, you go get to sleep and then you come in and put a new card in. So there's people that still do it that way. But if you can get everything on one drive, then go to the two drives, you're going to get a good night's sleep. Ron and I are on the same page. I just ordered a 48 terabyte raid five Lacey tower to get that rolling, but um, I was just going to talk about the different raids. But the solid state drive, I mean, that's the way to go. But they're just not cost effective yet for massive storage. And are are you looking at two terabyte for a solid state? You know, what what's kind of max for price point now? And, and again, you pay a lot more currently, right? Five years from now, it'll probably be normal. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I don't even know if they're bigger than two terabytes right now. For, but for maybe portable they are. ones, like I know for the little one. Yeah. They have a four ter four terabyte. Um, that's the the little portable passport type, but the like the SanDisk ones that you got at Costco, I think those are only they only go up to two terabytes. Yeah, those smaller ones and those are really slick, but they aren't very big yet. Mm-hmm. But that that technology is improving all the time because it just, I mean, it just basically went from two to four in the last year. So it's right. it's coming along fairly quickly. 
Well, in the MacBook, my MacBook's seven or eight years old, and so I'm watching for the new MacBook Pro to come out this winter with the supposed M2 chip and all that sexy stuff. But you can get eight terabyte solid state in the new MacBook Pros, the big ones. But it's like the price point when you go from four to eight, sit down when you look it up. I mean, it's just incredible compared to what you can get for externals. So, I, I mean, we could, I don't know whether we should just digest this stuff now or we can come back to it about the raid, but. Well, I think we're on it. Let's just do it. But yeah, the, if you're, so the only good thing about the, the solid state is the speed, you know? And like I said, the only reason I can see using it was exactly what I've been doing is you, you get all your media there and then you let that go when there's a chunk of time. So if you want to let it copy the whole next day, while you're out in the field, if you have consistent power or you want to have a copy overnight while you're sleeping, that just provides that sort of uh, hands-off thing and not having to babysit each card or each piece of media, whether it's from the GoPro or from the Red or from a Phantom or from a DSLR. That way, um, everything is just manageable. But in that case, too, you have to verify that that stuff's there because I have to erase those drives every day. Well, I have like four two terabyte uh, solid state drives, right? So I can hold on to it, and I do. I just, you know, having three or four copies is kind of nice, just in case something was to happen. So if we have a really, really good day of shooting, sometimes I'll just never format that card until I get back and can put it on another card or another hard drive somewhere else. So essentially I'll have three copies, but that's on just those really, really good days. You know, just something where you're like, ah, I just, everything came together. We got a lot of good sequence stuff. We got a lot of good light that, so that's why I carry the four of the two terabyte drives, the, the SSDs. And then that just is like a third backup because you have to erase the media in the cameras every day too. Right. So you have to format everything and the clients that i work for they're very stringent about handing over data has to be very structured and very you can't eliminate you can't say oh man i totally screwed up the focus on this i don't want anybody to see it i'm gonna just not i'm not gonna send that file that doesn't fly you have to send every file that every file that was shot good or bad or ugly you have to submit it so you know, there's no getting around the data requirements. You just need to have all that space. Yeah, and right now I looked up that four terabyte drive, the solid state, and it's a Western Digital, and it's like six hundred and seventy dollars. So, is it external <laughs> or internal? True. It's external. It's about the same size as the other ones, the the sand disc ones, but. Well, solid state should theoretically be more reliable without the moving parts of the other external hard drives. But when you still, I mean, for me, I haven't gone that route for the most part because when you look at the uh, Western Digital, Seagate, or Lacey external hard drives, eight terabyte, you're looking about two hundred bucks. Twelve terabyte, three hundred. Sixteen terabyte, four to five hundred. So, it, you know, you get a couple of those. You've got your backup, and I mean, they don't last forever, but they typically have good lifespans. I mean, I only had the odd one quit out on me, but I always... So here's the here's the trade-off to that, Mark. The, the R5, if you're shooting 8K video, and let's say you have a one terabyte card in there, that's 44 minutes. 
Yeah. I so yeah. let's say you have a, you know, a 10 day trip and you shoot an all 8k, which you, in my opinion, you should always shoot the highest resolution you can. So if you have enough memory and you got something going on and 8k is just right, shoot 8k because you're future proofing your stuff. So you start using all these little drives like you're talking about. They fill up really fast, but there's no, there's no easy answer for any of that. I think it all is predicated on, do you have power? Or do you not have power? Do you want to run on a US or a USB-C connection with no power? Then you got to go with the little ones. If you want to run on backup in the office scenarios, then I think it's best to go with the plug-in ones that are eight terabytes that are super cheap. I think it, at Costco, you can get an eight terabyte Seagate. At, if it's regular price, it's 170 bucks. And if you catch them on sale, they're like 130 bucks. That's super cheap, but they're super slow, you know, for, for writing to it and copying. Well, that, and just from my experience, and it's very limited, but what I found is the bigger the drive you get, too, it might be cheaper for the amount of memory you get because you're buying it all in one drive. But then it takes that much longer to back it up. And it takes that much long. And, and if it does crash, you lose that much more data. And I mean, there's got to, there's a balance there, right? I mean, even with my memory cards for my camera, I try to, you know, I, I like to shoot the 200 and what is it? Two, I, now I can't remember, 256, 256 gigabyte CF Express cards. Um, and it's just a matter, I'd rather switch a card out and have less data on there to potentially fail. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm not losing like a whole trip versus just a, a day or something. I don't know. But there's a balance there, right? And you've got to just try to figure out what's what's the best situation for what you're doing. But. Well, here's another little tidbit to add. So if I have five terabyte drives, anybody that I'm shooting for, they'll send you a spec sheet and they'll say, this is the format codec we want you to use. This is These are all the particulars. These are all the specs. They will always say if you have a five terabyte drive, they want 10% of that not used. So if you have five terabytes, you can use 4.5, but don't fill up the full five. So drive performance drastically lessens the, the, the more full it becomes. So you never want to use it till it's totally full. You always want to leave that 10%. So just keep that in mind too. I mean, I know it's just kind of like wasting, you know, you're wasting data, but in reality, I think you're just creating a peace of mind and then also having a faster, faster drive. Saving time. Time's important. Speed's important. Well, that's the other caveat too to what I was saying before is it's, it's all about speed. It's all about time. You know, I when I go on shoots, I love doing the data management. I know it's just something I like to do. And every shooter that I go out with, they love that I love that because they hate it. So they hate it because it takes so much time. But I like it because I like to know that everything's managed, organized the way you know, I, I just have a system and it just works. So I like doing it, but you start counting up the hours. You know, if, if we're on a shoot and we all get back, everybody will be done eating by the time I got the initial stuff copied over to the drives and everything getting ready to go to the, the master drives. And then I figure my day's done after that. So it's, it is time is huge. Have you guys heard of, of Delkin uh, brand CF Express cards? I use them. So that's what I, I've ordered 
for something. And, but I've ordered two 512s. They seem to be a heck of a lot cheaper too, uh, price point wise and good reviews online. But I'm thinking, you know, and, and you just did the math for everybody, Michael, but at 8K, 512 gigabytes supposed to get 26 minutes. So doing little bursts of video can consume that pretty quickly. So if you're in the field for 10 hours, I'm thinking the fact I ordered two 512 cards is not enough. What are your thoughts? Well, not if you're going to shoot 8K the whole time. Well, it'll be a combination of things, but it would yeah. be that. Yeah. So I'm thinking I'll have to get another two for field work to start with anyway. But I think you're going down the line of, of you remember in, when these cards first came out and what do we all start out with? 16 gigabyte cards or whatever. Four. I had four. Yeah. I mean. Two. Yeah. I think I had two in uh, in <clears throat> Compact Flash. Exactly. So you, you think back to those days and you're like, oh, man, I'm not going to use a 16 or I'm not going to use a 32. Can you imagine the data we're going to lose if we lose 32 gigabytes? And so over time, I've just been like, you know, it's just not worth worrying about it. Go with the biggest that you can afford. I just say go with the two terabytes just because they are pretty good. You can't find very them. very few problems. If you treat such them, a shortage. Right? Well, and there probably is. I know that they have them here in Alaska. So if you want me to go pick you up some, I can go get them. They've got them in stock down here. But um, the new Delkins are two terabytes. And I think they're only $100 more than the one terabyte. So why not spend one terab- $100 more for an extra terabyte? Do you know what the price is on those off the top of your head? But yeah, that, that would be sweet because I can't find them. The biggest I can source right now from everywhere I looked was 512. Mike with uh, Precision Camera said that they're having trouble getting cards right now mm-hmm. for the uh, C70 that I got for the commercial stuff. And I've talked about it a little bit, but it does have awesome, um, awesome 4Ks. 120p by the way uh but anyway he said with the c70 to shoot at 120 frames a second you have to use the new v90 sd cards so it takes two sd cards it takes the v90 sd cards and the biggest that he can get is 128 gigabytes he can't get anything bigger than that right now and he doesn't have many of those in stock but they what is the deal cheap. with everything? Everything in this world is like there's you can't get a hold they of anything. Said it's like the car shortage thing, getting new cars out. They said it was because they can't get the chips to replace the in the in the new cars for the computers. So I would imagine if it's a chip issue, that's that's why memory is is hard to find too. Everything seems you know, you all out. heard about the car so- shortage in uh Alaska, I'm sure, from the rental car. But you drive by any lot here, a car dealership, the car, their lots are empty. Mm-hmm. So guess what this guy did? I put my van up for sale. <laughs> I thought, what the heck? I'm going to sell it, and then I'll build another one just because it was fun. Now, Mike, before you sell it, it'd probably require some kind of insurance. You'd want to look into it. But, man, you could make a, a mint renting it out this summer and fall. Before you oh, saw that's it. true. That's true. It's in, insane know. what the prices are for rentals. Uh, if you can yeah, find Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I had heard they were renting those camper vans out for 350 a day. Well, it, it was 300 a day down here. Up to 5000 for two weeks. 
in Alaska. Really? So I bet up there it's even more. I think you're missing uh, the boat. You're, yeah, you you better get on that one. <laughs> no, I want to just uh, and the friends I discount, wanna... of course. Just uh, a special <laughs> special code. Friends and family discount. <laughs> the idea guy gets a little bit of a break. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah strange times. I tell you, I everywhere. And the, yeah, every, everything's short. And, and for people I know in the car business, it's been their best year ever in new cars too. I, I mean, I don't know if they're short yet, but um, yeah, it's, it's nuts. Any trip that I've booked to anywhere that's popular for a rental car, uh, I have to come up with some other ideas. I mean, I've, um, you know, the age old hack is to also, when you do your search, don't just put in the airport, put in the city. Because in the city, the same rental company, you take a cab for 15 minutes. And on one of the trips I've booked for this fall, the vehicle at the airport was twice as much as in the city. So I grabbed that one. And that was a relief because when I looked at it automatically to the airport, it was like, holy cow, the flight was nothing compared to what the rental car was going to cost. Yeah, I know that's the case in Anchorage, too. They, they've got some... I looked off-site in Anchorage, yeah. and it's it's not any prettier from what I saw. Really? Not, well, not when I looked. It was a while ago now. But mm-hmm. so, Michael, yeah, I mean, I don't. we can brainstorm and come up with a really sexy name for your for your rental car, rental van business, you know? Pro, <laughs> pro-rigged, wildlife, nature photographer, ready-to-go sprinter van. Yeah. I'd get that's some, a long name. No, no, that's that's a subtitle. That's <laughs> dot a subtitle. Com. <laughs> dot com. Yeah. Dot com. Yeah. Hash, hashtag that. Yeah. No, jeez. Crazy times. So that's it. You know, I I I'm just thankfully I don't have anything right this second, so I'm not stressed. But I'm soon going to be stressed. But I've done something that should have been done a long time ago, but didn't need to be is what you see is what you get world. I'm there. It's here, brothers. It's here. That mirrorless stuff, but I can't get a lens. Same thing. It's like I've ordered the lens and to start with, and it's supposed to be here, but nobody knows, right? There's no pipeline information. Now let's say, well, well, hold on. In a which week one did two, you order and which lens can't you get? I ordered an R5. And so there's a, I, this is a big deal. It's, I feel a little weird here because after like close to 30 years shooting Nikon, just Nikon, no complaints. I've loved every camera body I've had all along the way, like a dozen of them. But there's crickets out there now and there's so much happening. I just I'm not waiting for this fall. So to be the hybrid dream photographer I want to be for these trips. So I got the R5 and I ordered the one to 500 for a small kit to be in the field. And it just seems ideal. The fact, well, there's so much going on. I can take it in a canoe, for instance, right? It's such a tiny rig, but for any of the hiking stuff. So it's just a good launching point. So yeah, gone to Canon. I had a Sony A1, um, a Sony AR7 IV or something, and two lenses. I was one evening away from ordering that kit and Joe Sabalewski, I love you, man. Thanks for saving my butt on this decision. Not that there's anything wrong with the Sony stuff. The stats are off the charts. And, and our good friend of the podcast, Sean James, he's he's uh, sourcing an A1 right now. The A1 seemed to be the ticket. 
I researched and researched. I YouTubed all kinds of reviews. So I was going to go Sony, and then Joe put up a video on Instagram on his page, which is awesome. His stuff is great. Uh, he's been on the podcast. Check all that out. Check out the podcast to hear about his birds in flight and also his page. But he put up a video because on our one of our podcasts a couple of months ago, or might, maybe even been a month ago now, mentioned the concern about handheld video quality. And he put it up and, and tagged me on it and said, Mark, look at this, what he did with a 600 on the R5 filming the elk rut handheld. And it was phenomenal. But what he pointed out there, and I don't know if Ron chimed in on some text that night, the IBIS difference between the Sony technology and their lenses versus the R5 on an RF lens is it's five and a half times the stabilization on the Sony's, I believe, but eight and a half on the Canon. And I actually saw a YouTube clip last night too, comparing the Sony A1 on the two to 600 versus the Canon R5 on the one to five. And there were a lot of points outlined, but that was a big difference. If you want to do handheld video, the R5 on the, on an RF lens had much better stabilization. So that was what changed it overnight. And then I placed that order. I just want to get out with it. But yeah, the one to five, Mike, is 100 to 500 is what I'm waiting for. Everything's there. I found a think tank bag that's apparently really well reviewed that lines up for that kit, like a sling bag that's got external pockets. I don't have it in hand yet. You know, I'll give some feedback once I've played with it in the field. But it seems like it's it'll, it'll just keep the whole kit lightweight that way and weatherproof and stuff. So... But yeah, the one to five hundred. I look out there. Apparently, Canon, the Canon actual store. I didn't know there was one till I saw this. I looked today. They had some inventory, but it's gone. So hope hopefully there's some coming. But it's everything. Um, like Jason, like the six hundred, the new six hundred, and I think that's why it's crickets out there for so much of the new camera rumors. Right? Things if they can't make it. Like, when's the R3 coming out? And I didn't go R3 because the 30 megapixel sensor can't do 8K. So my hope is the R5 is going to be, you know, obviously most of the listeners know a lot of people shoot it and it's great reviews. It's been out for a year almost now. Um, my hope is the R5 is a great camera to do this hybrid shooting, but I'm really anxious to hear what, I mean, it might be next year, it might even be, who knows how long with the the delay on parts and and, mic and the chips, but the R1, what are they going to do with that, right? That's where I'm... So anyway, it's it's a transition. But yeah, if, if, if you have a 1 to 500 in your pocket there, I, I've had opportunities in the past. It's just as short as right now. If I'd ordered it uh, six weeks ago, I could have had it. At 28 to 70, I have a friend that shoots portraits. He shoots real high-end portraits, and he wanted that 28 to 70, ordered one three months ago. Still hasn't seen it, so I offered mine up for sale for forty five hundred dollars. It was a twenty eight hundred dollars lens. <laughs> well, I'm sure somebody would come up with a, a one hundred to five hundred if you just want it that bad. Yeah, I'm not that desperate yet. <laughs> I'm, I, I've been assured it will be here within a month, but I really don't believe anybody can guarantee that. So. Well, I'll tell you what: if you get, if I get my six hundred. Um, and you're still that desperate, let me know. All right. All right. <laughs> I was wondering if that's why this has been such a secret for so long is because you felt bad about going away from Nikon and did you cry? 
Yeah, you're at, you're at me today, brother. Okay, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I did I did the same thing, and I, I almost cried I, because I, it was hard to part yeah. with it. Okay, well, I haven't got to that emotional crisis state yet because I'm not parting with the 850. You haven't sold it. No, yet. of course. I mean, I've got to get the R5 months down the road. If the R5 is is doing everything I want, then I'll, I'll be going more that direction. Then that'll that'll happen, and yeah, it'll be a little party. There'll be some celebration and crying, and it'll some confetti, and off it'll go. But it's it was just weird because I've I've never had a complaint about what I've had for cameras or lenses with Nikon, and you know we've had some great Nikon guests on, and a lot of talk about stuff. The and the two mirrorless lenses that have or sorry camera bodies that have come out, um, were fine and and the, the Z, z7 II is so close to the 850 but it doesn't pull off what the r5 can do and then there's nikon as i've said this before i don't want to i mean i want to keep this positive it's like there's they're not even teasing us with stuff other than oh well there's going to be a z9 and it's going to be amazing but it's like well when and how amazing it's just too ambiguous so i i can't let, miss we missed last year from covid i'm not going to miss this year because i have equipment that's not as versatile as the the most modern equipment is so um had it was either sony or canon i, I mean i've been looking at olympus too i we have a lot of friends of the podcast that love olympus brand and are doing really well with it and that whole pre-record business you know is has that appeal but um this compact kit <laughs> so don't hurt your neck this compact kit it's just hard to beat when you look at the size of a one to five, even though it's seven one on the R five. I mean, I'm I'm excited to play with that for this for. I, I like what you're saying too, Jason. I'm jumping around here, but the wide angle and the environmental portrait stuff, and wanting to do that as well. But just for the general large mammal, that kit of the one to five hundred and the R five seems like it'll be a lot of fun and super easy to tote around. So, I, yeah, I can't wait. I've, I've ordered, like, you guys um, have advised me, which I'm very grateful for, but I ordered four extra batteries because that was a game changer or a big shift, I should say, in, in the frame count that you get out of a battery. And I'm wondering if I even want more than that just in case, you know, you don't get the charge for a few days. Three hundred. Well, you're, you're frowning, Michael. 320 frames. I mean, I'm used to getting a two or 3,000 frames, I think, on a battery. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. On my 850? I, on my R5. Oh, on the on the R five? No, the eight fifty. So the R five is is rated to have three hundred and twenty images for a battery, from what I've read online. No, 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 no. Oh, good. You'll get more than that. You'll get about a thousand. Oh, seriously? That's what I've been. Yeah, that's what I've been getting. All right, that's that's good news. Pretty consistently. Because I was yeah. I was picturing the, you know the whole John Wayne belt of of batteries like the old <laughs> film days where you have a whole pouch of, of film. Chewbacca yeah, with the exactly. chest straps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did get the extra, I mean, the, the battery grip, so that'll give more battery life, but it adds weight too, right? And and another fun little gadget is the Ronin. I got the new Ronin, uh, the RS2. And two. Yep, I got that too. So it's fun. will the extra grip on the R5 cause any complications on that? Do you need to drop yes. it off to use it? You No, you don't. It's just harder to balance. Uh, you don't need to drop it off because the the C seventy will even fit on the RS two, and it it's it's as big as a a one DX. You know, you're you're still not as big as a one DX, and you can run a one DX easily on the Ronin. Um, it's it's got powerful motors. 
So here's my plan. Uh, but it's just clearance that, right. sorry. Well, you've tried it and I haven't yet. My Ronin's mm-hmm. still in the box. I'm not, I'm waiting for the R5 and everything at once. But my plan was to put it on the Ronin and balance it at like, just for um, a standard balance at like maybe 300 for the wildlife. Not five because there was some issue with extending the lens, right? I think you said. for. But mm-hmm. if I put it at 300 and that's just kind of my go-to for using the Ronin on the R5, do you think that's a good strategy out of the, out of the gate? Yeah. And the other thing about the Ronin is it's got it's got a little uh, oh micro-adjust wheel. on the And it's got a, a geared... It's not motorized, but it's a geared slider on the on the mount. It's a pro combo. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you can, you know, if you're at 300 and you want to come back to, to 100 to widen things out a little bit, come back to 100 and just use that gear to make your adjustment. You only have to then balance one one angle. You know, out of the three. Okay. So you you can do that fairly quickly. You could do that in a minute so in the I, field. It wouldn't shut you down for long. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. And you can lock the arms on that thing, so you're just isolating that that one basically level that you have to that you have to balance. Awesome. I'm stoked. It's it's a pretty slick unit, and it's fairly lightweight. It, they went to the carbon fiber uh, arms with that thing, so it took a lot of weight off of it. So is the Lens shortage worldwide, or is that just a Canada thing, or is it? Can you get the one to five in the U.S. or it's everywhere? everywhere. Oh, wow! Yeah, my I was talking to Mike Luxemburg at Precision, and he was saying that he, the same thing. He's he's got a ton of one hundred to five hundreds on back order, and yeah, you know my six hundred still on on order. It's they were supposed to start they were supposed to start shipping the first of July first part of july and they haven't seen any yet so so mark why don't you just pick up a one to four ef and get an adapter and start using it well because i'm told it could be here next week and i like the extra um stabilization of the rf on it yeah no i think it's good but if you have the ronin you're gonna you're gonna solve that so you would at least be able to be out shooting with that plus if you bought the adapter that had the neutral density built in then you don't have to fuss around with the neutral density on the end of the of the lens. So it's one thing I, I have on my on my windows open are the are the neutral density. I've got to do that. And you're right. Yeah, I, I, you've talked about that a lot. You might. I mean, it just be get you going. I assume that the one to five hundred being a new lens for the mirrorless. And and again, this is just a guy being suckered into the to the glossy new stuff. I assume that that glass might be a bit better than the one to four because it's just the new version. One to four is pretty sharp. Right. The one to four L L two, the two version right. is a pretty sharp lens. But the you know the one hundred to five hundred Jason shot with it. I don't know, Mike, if you I've spoke to people who really like it, but I, I haven't heard a comparison. I don't think anybody's gonna tell the difference between a one to five and a one to four. In video especially. But in steels maybe you would if you're if you're nitpicking it, but for a print up on the wall, I guarantee you nobody's going to say, oh, that was the one to five. I, I doubt very seriously. Plus the one to four is five, six at 400. All right. Let's jump into some pro tips. It's been a while since we've done a pro tip episode. So I think people are chomping at the bit and we've all had the opportunity to think about this a little bit more this year than we have in the past. 
So, Mike, you've been in the field more than more than any of us here lately. What's number one for you? Oh, let's see. You know what I picked up the other day was a – all mine are always gear-related, right? But uh, – and I texted Jason on it the other day. It's a little device called the Zolio. It's a satellite texture. So it's a lot like the Garmin inReach, but it's cheaper, I think, for the unit itself. I think. I'm not sure. And But the service, the monthly service fee is a lot cheaper. So if you're ever in a situation where – and it happens in Alaska a lot, but even the lower 48, it happens quite a bit. You have the ability to text or receive text. That's the other thing is the inReach – you basically have to initiate the text and then people can text you back. This basically gives you a number and anybody can text you at any time. So for communication, if like for me, it's, it's important just to, you know, when I'm shooting for some clients, I have to, they would like us to check in daily. So on this last shoot we were on, we were off the grid for 14 days. So there was just no way to do it. And fortunately someone on, that was on the trip had one of these Zolios and that's where I saw it. I'd heard about it before, but we had it there and it's, it's awesome. It works everywhere. And then the other thing it does is it's $50 a month for the service. Unlimited texts. You can get $30 a month for like 250 texts or whatever, but it works on Wi-Fi. It works on cell. It works everywhere. So you can have it going all the time. You don't have to just use it when you're off the grid. So if you're in the city, it works great too. So it's not like something that you have to turn off. If you decided to buy the service, it would uh, the $50 a month service, you can use it all the time if you wanted to. I, I've found that it works. I use it both ways. Um off the grid and on the grid. And then if you're talking with other Zillio people, it's really fast and really, it really great communication tool. So just one of those little tidbits of, you know, Jason was trying to text me the other day and I was down in the bottom of this Canyon and I had really limited service and it would work if I was in a certain spot and I happened to get a text from Jason. But then when I got the text, I could not respond, but I had the Zolio. So I just turned it on and responded. And then I was able to communicate with him all day being totally out of cell phone range, but just doing it over the Zolio. Yeah. The one group that I've worked with, my contract got extended, but the other shooter wasn't here anymore. And they basically demand that you check in when you leave and check in, when you get back, all that kind of stuff. And it's a safety thing. It's not like they're trying to check up on you. It's just, it's a safety safety thing. thing, It just came in handy. It's hard to get used to, though, when you're used to just going and coming and going when you want. Right. Good tip. I like it. Peace of mind. It's important. Uh, I was just going to touch on, I don't know if you wanted me to go next, because I'm just going to jump on the social media stuff quickly and how that keeps changing. You know, how it's so important for photographers to get their stuff out there. It's one of the platforms that we go to. Presumably daily, not necessarily daily. I know some people are doing a couple times a week, but the algorithms on Instagram in particular keep changing on us. And it's hard to know exactly what those are, but there have been shifts that have 
impacted some things this late spring, early summer. And it seems as though from the research I've been doing, because it's a platform that I've remained active on for interaction with, you know, a, a network of, of friends that I've got to know through that, but also for marketing purposes. And, you know, it hasn't been a windfall, I'll tell you that, for the time invested, but I, clients do find me through Instagram of, of various sorts uh, around the world. So it's still worth doing, but something that's changed that I've only discovered by watching a variety and never trusting any one in particular, but a variety of YouTube channels, uh, content creators talking about it is that Instagram, you know, there are these com competing platforms out there with Facebook and YouTube and TikTok that all pay their content creators for videos or content that you know, gets a lot of attention and they do so through their advertising. They put ads on them for the most part and collect revenue and then give a portion of that to the content creator. And Instagram wasn't doing that, but Instagram is, you know, from what I've heard, a very successful company monetarily. So, you know, content creators that are generating revenue from YouTube or Facebook or TikTok. And since Facebook owns Instagram, it seems as though that that's switching on Instagram that they, the rumor has it or the feeds have it on YouTube, the shows that I've been watching that they're going to start paying. But it doesn't sound like at this point that they're paying for photographs. It's more that they want Instagram to develop into a multimedia platform which is kind of cool in some ways. I know that, you know, a lot of us stem from a purely photograph, still photo um, pastime, the content that we create. But we all have these cameras that are evolving to be superb at collecting video. And there are many instances where video is more engaging. And a lot of us have great smartphones that can do that as well for storytelling or, or taking people along on the trip like I enjoy doing. So Instagram has, you know, for a while now had uh, stories, they've had reels and they have Instagram TV and they're all, to me, they're all fun to create content on, but it's time commitment. And all these platforms want their, us to be on there as long as possible because it creates um, traction for their platform. So it's fun to create Instagram TV uh, the clips can be done more than a minute in length, whereas reels, I believe at this point in time, are capped at a minute. Most reels are vertical that seem to get traction because that's a TikTok trend. So food for thought, if you're out filming and you're, and you're filming yourself with your camera and the, and the scene off behind you, um, think about shooting a vertical for that application, but YouTube's horizontal. So what do you do? But you can post horizontal on reels as well. And... Anyway, it's, it's just fun to engage in this stuff, but it seems as though Instagram is transitioning, thankfully, and I'm not in this window at this point in time, but to generate uh, revenue for content creators. So for, for those of you that devote a lot of time to it and post regularly and get that kind of traction, it's something to be aware of. And it seems also, I've, I've been on this in mul multi multiple um, levels reviewing it in the sense that when you look at your insights for where you're getting traction. Instagram is keeping your posts, which are your still photos or videos on there for that matter, your stories, your reels, and your Instagram TV separate on their statistical analysis. So it's almost like they want you to do, obviously, all of those 
as frequently, well, daily, but nobody, I, I can't do that daily time-wise. I can't justify that. But um, it's just interesting to see how this platform that we've, so many of us in the photography world have been engaged in for so long, continues to change and evolve. And obviously trying to encapsulate some more video content um possibilities. Another thing I've realized too of interest is that when you create a reel, and I talked about this months ago on the podcast, it's really fun to do. You can do various uh, videos in one reel as long as it's a, a minute, I believe. I think it used to be 30 seconds and they've made it longer. You can do a variety of them to tell a story, but then you can also, if you want, you pick your cover image. So that's another step that's good for grabbing attention. Uh, you can put a caption but you can also select music. And I've found with their algorithm, it seems as though the music variety available depends on how many, at some threshold of followers. I haven't researched it to know exactly what the different thresholds are, but for instance, our wild and exposed Instagram page, which I hope you're all following. We put a variety of content on there is a little over 10,000 uh, followers. And so on reels, it has an allotment of, of music that you can for free, put on to add um, appeal to that that video that you, you're posting. On my Instagram feed, because I've just been doing it for a few years longer than the Wild and Exposed one, you know, it's at 35,000 approximately followers. The, the opportunity or the variety of music I have to choose from is far greater. And it saves me time in that sense when I create a reel because I can think of uh, a piece of music, popular music that really goes well with the, the mood I'm feeling for what I want to put out there for viewers to watch. I can find it far faster with the greater variety of selection. So that was something surprising uh, that I seem to discover. At least that seems to be the case. Um, if any of you have had different experience, let me know, because this is always evolving and, and I'm trying to learn and, and share information that expedites these process and is the best benefit to all the listeners out there. But so if you're in the field, tell your stories with some videos or create reels, because it seems like Instagram is showing um, some favor to that for traction. I've just started experimenting with it the past week or so. If you've seen on my feed where I've been doing more reels and more um, Instagram TV and I'll obviously follow up on it in future podcasts to let you know if it really boosted traction or not. Another thing I've, I've recently read or seen on other YouTube content influencers who, you know, some claim to have insider information. Who knows? Who knows? But I have reduced hashtags recently where I always, for Five years use 30 hashtags because that was allowed in many recommendations or various sites were saying do it. Some didn't, but most are saying make use of it. Uh, it seems as though that with this new algorithm, they're saying eight to 15 or closer to eight. So this past week, I've just been using eight. Another thing is going to take time. And I'll give feedback on whether that seemed to work because what I'll do is I'll use eight for a bit. I know this is diving in deep for a lot of you and, and maybe more information than necessary, but I'll switch back and see what it does. But anyway, it's, it's, it's a lot of time. If you don't have it, don't stress over it, right? I mean, we got to live life, but it's uh, for those that want to share their work, it seems to still be one of the best ways to do it. I mean, who looks up websites, right? These days, you can, people find it through social media, they'll find your website. But 
it seems like social media is one of the still one of the best ways to be discovered. And so there, you know, just to conclude, put up good stuff, right? Low res, I watermark mine, I watermark app is is great. No sponsorship there. It's just something that I've used for a long time um, for both video and stills and low resolution and uh, yeah, and a good caption. You know, don't don't post a recommendation from my experience. If, if you don't have an image you feel is going to resonate well with people, don't you know, I wouldn't post it. I want I would make sure that what I post creates a variety within my niche, but also is visually appealing in a, in a complimentary caption. That's my feedback. Maybe some content creators say, you know, what, post every day, no matter what quality or not. But I think quality still resonates with viewership, especially if you're serious about your photography and you want to attract clients, whether it's art collectors, whether it's publishers, whatever it may be. If they're going to find your feed and scroll down, you want that to be as good a representation of, of what you create as possible without stressing about it. We're having fun. This is photography. It's about the experience and, and loving this, this creative pastime that we're all continually uh, learning with. So, so Mark, yeah, I think you're, yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> your advice is all spot on. And it's interesting. It really depends on what you're doing it for, right? I think it matters what you're doing it for. And if you're one of these accounts that's really trying to grow, I've noticed the ones that seem to be growing consistently are the ones like, and I'll mention, um, it's an actually a very interesting page sometimes, but Busy Wild, um, you know, these, these Nate, the dark side of nature, nature's metal, some of these pages that are growing so fast and you're seeing them consistently grow and they're posting three and four times a day and they're constantly posting a steady stream of stories and, you know, and, uh, you know, a lot of these sites are sharing other people's work and sharing other people's, people's content. So, it's easy for them to to do that, right? But my point is, I think that's the key to grow it quickly, but then you're getting a bunch of followers that just want to see whatever you're posting. I think for what we do, if you were to do that, I don't think you would, I don't know if it would work as well. Or if you'd get, you'd, you might get a bunch of new followers, but are they kind of followers you want? Are they the kind of people that are going to bring you some value by prints, maybe editors and that, that might be looking at your work to use? You know what I mean? I guess it, I guess my point is I'm trying to make is that, I think it just really matters on what your goal is with the social media platform that you're working with. Well, if what's the point in growing it if there isn't some opportunity to sell some form of, of content from what you're doing? I mean, there's obviously a social aspect, but really, I don't think many people have time to do hours every day unless there's a hope, a dream of it catching hold and making them revenue, right? So... Another uh, on a, on the story front, I tried something different this week, and friends of mine have done it, and I didn't realize the potential traction difference. But my stories typically get uh, anywhere from eight hundred to twelve or fourteen hundred views on a story, and I did a story this week with a quiz, and it jumped off the charts to like four or five thousand. And I, I and but it was also co combined with doing a reel and a post. So I'm wondering again. This is all trial and error at the moment. But if I'm going to keep doing this, if if doing two or three different types of media presentation on that page that day combines to do a boost, or whether it was just the fact that a quiz is more engaging to people. You know, I showed an elk rub and I was standing beside it, and I was just jokingly said, "What made this? You know, was it moose, elk, Sasquatch?" Or Mark, you know, and I followed up with another story showing the elk that made it, but it went 
it was five times what I normally get, right? And again, I'm not sure if it's because I also posted a reel that day or whether it's quiz-based. But so in your stories, have fun with them. There are ways to be creative with that. Make it a question quiz. There's various um, um, artistic tools that you can complement the photo or video that you're posting in your story to engage people. But I think it boils down to for serious photographers who – you know, who are selling their work or want to be selling their work. It's always quality first. And I, I mean, I always personally make sure it's low res and I watermark mine. A lot of people don't, I, I don't know why, but um, it doesn't seem, I know of many pages that do super well, even with big watermarks. So I don't think it hurts. And Anyway, but my point is, if, if you want to sell, then it should be as better as as good a representation of your portfolio as it can be. Not to say you have to put up your absolute best if you don't want to, but it's got to. You have to have a gut check, and yeah, this is this is where you're at, and hopefully it will get attention. And and you can also tag, you know, various things that you want to draw attention to, you know, as far as um, places or that you could sell to as well. That's a long pro tip. That was a long pro tip. Long pro tip. And if you'd like to understand and perfect the art of not growing your social media presence, check out Ron Hayes underscore WWI. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't see any growth at all. Because I don't, I definitely don't put the effort into it and I don't have time to put the effort into it. So that's probably not going to change. And I I think everybody needs a break now and then too. I think, you know, and on a quick side note, you know, one of the ideas I had for pro tip today while I was brainstorming was to come up after COVID where we've all been constrained. And I mean, it's just been such a freaky, weird year and a half. Come up with a project that inspires you with your own work that's going to take you to the next level and get you out there motivated to to do something whether it's in your backyard or further field um it's an idea to spark um and it's hard right now right, for a lot of people i know but spark some motivation that way and, and be excited about come up with a photography project for oneself yourselves jason how about you so i'm going to the, the pro tip I'm going to share, it may have been brought up before, but I don't know if it's been brought up this way. Um, if you haven't downloaded the PhotoPills app, I, th- I highly suggest that you do. That is a very powerful app, and it's got about everything you can think of from a photography standpoint. And the reason it was meaningful to me and came into um, play for me is, as I mentioned on my recent elk trip, I started to play a lot with the 70-200. to And when I started to play with that, I I wasn't familiar with that lens at all. And I wanted to make sure that whatever I was shooting was staying in focus. I was excited about shooting a 2.8, um, but I also wanted to make sure that my, you know, the elk was in full focus and I was catching all the right thing, at least the antlers and the head were going to be in focus when I was making my shots. So that PhotoPills app has the ability, you can go in there in the depth of field section and you can type in a 200 millimeters F2.8 and well, your distance and it'll give you your focal plane. So it's a very powerful app. I mean, I just wrote down a bunch of examples. So for for example, at 200 millimeters at 30 foot, the F, F2.8, it's a one foot, two inch focal plane. 
On the 45 foot, it's two foot seven inches. At 60 foot, it's four feet seven inches. So, you know, shooting it as much smaller, you know, millimeter, 200 millimeters, you know, a little bit further back and you've, you're getting a lot bigger focal plane, which we all understand. But I think the point I'm trying to make is maybe it, if you do a little homework before you go out and shoot, then you'll know exactly, you know, the situation you're in and you can have a better um, better chance of catching what you're trying to catch and making sure everything's in focus. Um, I also ran the numbers at 30 foot for F8, and it you know it doesn't double, but it kind of it essentially doubles. Three foot three inches, 45 foot it was seven foot four inches, and 60 foot it was 13 feet two inches. So the 200 millimeter at F8 at at 60 feet has a focal plane of almost 14 feet. So um, and compare that with the 600 right, the 600 millimeter at 60 feet at F4 is eight and a half inches. So it compresses it quite a bit more. So that, and Cor- that's correct. why you get, yeah, those uh, prime lenses get that beautiful bokeh because it does shorten the depth of field. Right. Um, but yeah, and then it, it, it on the 600 millimeter at F8 at 40 yards or 120 feet, you have about a five and a half foot focal plane. So again, you know, what's been mentioned before, and if you're trying to shoot elk in the rut, for example, in your 600 millimeter, you may want to shoot at a higher aperture than F4, depending on how close you are and what the search situation is. So just a reminder to, to do that, maybe get that app. Um, it's fairly inexpensive. It's worth the money. It does cost, but um, it helped me out a ton when I started to shoot, play with that F2.8 or that, um, sorry, that 270 to 200 millimeter lens. Um, and you know, after you shoot for a while, you, you kind of learn it and you get the feel for it and you don't really need to go check anymore. Right. But, um, for the, for beginning and start starting out with it, it helped me a ton. So, so I'm going to piggyback on that and say that the guy that was my mentor that kind of got me serious about, well, I was starting to get serious, but he took me to the next level. Uh, John Timmis, he is in the hospital with a, a brain bleed and some blood clots. So thoughts go out to John and his family. Um, but he was the guy that always said, you know, I would always ask, well, what aperture should I be shooting at? And he said, well, F8 is not F8 is not F8 is not F8. And it's because of just what you talk about. So on one lens, F8 is 13 feet. On another lens at the same distance, I'm talking, you know, F8 is eight inches. So it's, it is that learning curve and you can't just assume that, yep, I need to shoot at F8 with everything that I've got at this, at this distance and I'm going to be fine. You know, I was shooting some Swift Fox recently and at five, six, at a, at a pretty close proximity, I, I, everything, everything blurred out. The only thing that was in focus was the Swift Fox, and that was it, and just created this beautiful shot. But you can't do that unless you're shooting, you know, the long, long lens and and a prime. So it it does have its advantages. The zoom definitely has it its advantages. And the other thing, photo pills will do. Well, it does so many things. It'll show you exactly where the Milky Way is going to come up if you're an astrophotographer. Uh, it'll show you exactly where you just rotate your phone and pick your landmark. It'll tell you exactly where the sun's going to come up, exactly where the moon's going to come up, all those kind of things. So, you, and what time, you know, the, it's just like, there's another app called the photographer's ephemeris. 
it'll do the same thing. And it, it, there's just so many tools in there. Um, Photo pills is probably one of the best apps that a photographer could have, I think, or the photographer's ephemeris because in, in the daytime, it'll show you where all the stars are going to be. It'll show you exactly where the Milky Way is going to be. It'll show you the, uh, the big dipper, all those things. So it is a, a fantastic tool, dare I say phenomenal tool for a photographer. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, so I was going to, you know, Mike talks about he's always doing gear. I always do the philosophical thing. And and that's what I was going to talk about today, going out and, you know, get your shots, but then shoot. You know, once you get your initial shots, start to shoot with the end product in mind after that. And Mark says the same thing, but he just talks, you know, Mark says, work the scene. So, you know, changing your composition, changing your aperture, changing your focal point, um, that is is my pro tip. But shoot with the end result in mind and see in your mind what you want to see when you print it and then shoot accordingly. And I think the, the photographer's ephemeris, honestly, and the photo pills are tools that can help you do that. Because not only, Jason, you know, you talked about it giving you your depth of field at with a specific lens at a specific distance, but it will also um, help you calculate hyper, hyperfocal distance. So from where your subject is, so if you want that environmental portrait and you want the environment or the whole landscape to be in focus, the photo pills will help you calculate, number one, if I'm at such and such a distance, if I'm at distance X, what aperture do I need to shoot at to be at a hyperfocal distance where everything in the scene is going to be in focus? And it'll help you calculate that. You just put the put the numbers in and boom. It'll spit out the answer quick and you don't have to experiment. It's it's correct. It's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. So Mike, you have another one? Uh, you know, we were talking about hard drives earlier and we were talking about USB-C cables. When you grab a USB-C cable, all of them are not created equal. So just pay attention when you're looking at data transfers or if you're buying new cables, just make sure you're putting in USB-C data and not USB-C charging or whatever. Cause <clears throat> I've noticed it and I'll, I'll just grab a cable out of my bag. I have just a bag full of cables just for all these different situations. And I'll grab one and not think about it. And I'll start a transfer and all of a sudden it's like snail's pace. And I'll stop it and restart it just because I know that that cable is not the right one. I'll restart it. with I'll go find another cable. And what I've done now is I've started putting tape around the cables that are the fast ones so I can find them fast just because that's it's so important and you can find some super fast USB-C cables if you just spend the time and I can't give you an exact there's one that I found that's I really like and I could put a link to that in the show notes but it's just a little shorty cable um, but it's perfect for I can actually show it to you guys it's perfect for these USB-C drives it's just a little bitty flat cable the braided cable yeah yeah 
if you're transferring a lot of data, just know that they're not all the same. And Mark, you're getting the R5. So if you're going to do the video, if you're going to go to anything external like your Ronin, uh, the same thing is true of the uh, micro HDMI because the the R5 doesn't have a regular HDMI. It doesn't even have the, the mini. It's got the micro. So when you get that cable, make sure you look at data transfer rates as well. Um, even if you're not going to shoot with an external screen, you know, like a Ninja or another Atomos screen, uh, just to the Ronin itself, you want it to be able to communicate as quickly as possible. So that that's true of, of pretty much everything. Make sure you look at transfer rates. Good tip. Thank you. Noted. So Mark, you were talking about, uh, you wanted to talk about your or different RAID systems. Yeah, I thought I covered that. Was that going to be a pro tip yeah, or did we get that? We kind of got most of it done. Yeah, we did everything except for the different types of RAID, but it's it's all easily found online if you just look up RAID hard drives and there's a list of what RAID 1 through whatever is. And it seems like RAID 0, RAID 1, and RAID 5, from what I've uh, learned, are the most popular. Just It's just setups are what various hard drives are capable of when you order them, whether it's two-drive unit or four- or five-drive unit. RAID 0, and the whole point of this, just to touch on it quickly, is forever I've had the cheaper external hard drives, all good brands, but it's up to my memory to make sure I've backed everything up. And that's fine, except a hard drive gets full, another one gets full. And what I do is I retire them and, and put them in safekeeping, somewhere and, and get another one and then it's like it's it, it gets confusing after a while and there's some dated files too so that might need accessing so instead i've, I've collected a, a larger raid system and then we'll do what the guys talked about and have a large external also guaranteed locked stored off-site in a safety deposit box actually um, that i refresh you know every month or so just for safekeeping but the um the RAID system, so it's it's essentially will will have that redundancy, protect your files in the event of a hard drive failure, while not having to remember ourselves if we've copied it or where those files are, because everything should be in one place. And um, RAID zero splits data evenly across two or more drives, so um, it uses more memory. Whereas RAID 1 is, is what I've always kind of thought I would go to, where it's the two drives that simply mirror each other. So you have to be aware when you order a RAID system what the hard drive memory capacity is. And obviously, the more memory, the more expensive they are. And it's usually a housing that has plug-and-play internal drives that you can order and, and put in. But if, if they're both 4 terabyte, well, that's old school. Okay, they're both 12 terabyte, you know, You'd want two 12s to mirror each other, and that would give you 12. It wouldn't give you 24. It's 12 with two 12s because obviously one's a pure backup of the other. But what's more popular now, and, and sometimes I guess a little more expensive as well, um, and, and it's probably in the in the 2K and up, $2,000 and up window to get a proper size RAID system and, and depending on how much you need. And for people who are switching and doing more and more video at 4 or 8K, it becomes a relevant discussion, as you heard earlier. But the RAID 5 has four or more hard drives that just shares data between them. And any one of those drives can fail, and it doesn't uh, affect the integrity of your database. And then it will show you the drive that's failed. You open your unit. Uh, it's fanned. It's cooled, all that stuff, right? And you pull that drive out and... 
presumably either have one or order one that's the same and plug it in and you keep rolling. So there's that redundancy where there's four or more drives and one can fail and be pulled out at any time with RAID 5. So, But again, you can search that stuff online and there are lots of quick and easy reference guides on what the RAID systems are, but it's just peace of mind. And as Michael has talked about numerous times, and when we're in the field and we're shooting more video, more content, more data, it all takes our time. I can sit and back up files manually onto two or three hard drives, but honestly, I'm, I haven't got it yet, but the RAID system's got me really excited because that'll save me time. I don't have to do the backup. It's all done. I just have to do the offsite backup, you know, once every month and move on from there. So that's the appeal of RAID systems for serious photographers or videographers. It's, it's really in a go-to because time is, is life, right? We can be doing something else instead of spending hours deciding and backing up. And as Michael said, okay, well, it's going to take 15 minutes to back up this file to this hard drive, but I wanted to back up to this. It's just time management. So that's the appeal of the RAID system. But my, my pro tip was actually going to be the shortest pro tip Mark Raycroft's ever done because some of them just go deep here. It was just going to Hold be. Hold on. Do you gonna, are you going to leave and go to something completely Yeah, different? I am. I am. I'm moving All off right. From... Before you do, okay. just one little thing. You yeah. know how you said if one of them fails, you can put in other one and you keep rolling okay that's not true you do keep rolling but it has to rebuild itself right. the last time i had to rebuild one it was like 18 hours oh no kidding so it takes a, it's so not one like fails, you can just slap it in and go you're one at, fails you're going to be down for at least a day no kidding okay right if you have a 48 like 48 terabyte raid 5 system which is what i have there's eight drives eight six terabyte drives so if if any one of those goes down, there's like five or six terabytes of memory that is specifically for the rebuild. So you really only have out of that 48, you only have 42 that's usable. And those six terabytes are there for the rebuild. And then if the one goes down, then you plug it in, but it, autom it automatically starts the rebuild, but it does take the time to to restructure it and rebuild it. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you guys brought that up. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that time frame. The other thing, when you think about that, as you just alluded to, Ron, is if you have a 48 terabyte, depending on the size of all the drives, you basically have to subtract the memory of one of those drives from what you actually have available. It's not 48. So keep that in mind when you're pricing out this, the size of the system you're looking at. And they do get expensive quick. Well, that's why I never did it, right? It's like, ah, oh, so much. And these are so so economical. The external, you know, Western Digital, Seagate, whatever it might be, that are affordable. But it's it's time management. And the more and more we do this, it, it's great just to know it's done you, with the RAID system. That's So to spin off on a very quick pro tip, when an animal behavior one, to shake it up, when you are, let's say you're in a in a park, in a national park or something like that with trails and you're going to go out for an early morning or an evening stroll to find wildlife. Maybe it's an area that there's certain species you expect to find or maybe it's just random and you're looking for birds, songbirds and whatever you stumble upon. Actually, songbirds, let's take that out. Mammals. This is about mammals, not songbirds. But whatever you might stumble upon. Uh, keeping the light in mind, if it's clear, but if it's a cloudy day, it doesn't matter. Play the wind. That's always critical for approaching mammals because unless it's in a situation where they are habituated to people, if it's that popular destination, 
But for me, whenever I'm in the far north uh, with caribou, with moose, uh, it's a matter of glassing a subject and then saying, okay, there's an amazing animal in a great scene, working the light first and foremost. But if we approach the animal heading into the wind, so the wind is coming from the animal or the breeze from the animal to us, it's far more likely that we're going to get within photographic range of the subject than if we ignore what the breeze is doing, just randomly walk toward it. So it's something just to keep in mind. They're all, um, their sense of smell far, it's far superior to ours. And as much as most of us smell wonderful to ourselves, we don't to them. So keep, keep breeze in mind. If you're just walking trails, if you have a choice to enter at this end of the trail, you know, a mile or two down or this end and pick the one with the breeze to your favor, if you're hoping to, to walk up and see mammals, not bears, don't do that with bears, but um, other subjects, coyotes, you never know what you'll see, but yeah, keep the wind to your favor. Quick tip. I was taking, I was taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> it's an, it, you know what? It's a straightforward common sense one, but it's, you know, when people not every, no, 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 might no. not think about it when they just head out to the out somewhere and they're going to go for a morning walk. If they park down here, then they might have right. better luck. No, no, I wasn't, I wasn't saying that for that reason at all. I was saying that because I'm going to shoot bears next week. Ah. And so uh, that's why I was taking notes. So I won't do that with the bears. No, you almost want them to smell you so they know you're there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Just the opposite. Yes. But, yeah. Be known. Um, so this one's going to be, it's like a no brainer. And matter of fact, when I learned this, I was like, it was one of those dumb moments for me. Um, so hopefully it'll be a good tip and a dumb moment for somebody else. Right. But in Lightroom, I was having a hard time making sure that my whites were white. Whenever I sit in front of the monitor for long enough, I start to really, my colors start to really get weird on me. And I, there's a lot, I mean, we've all mentioned before, when I get that way, I like to walk away, leave it alone for an hour or something, come back and then, whoop, okay, yeah, I see what's going on. Uh, my eyes can readjust and I can see it. But one of the, one of the little tricks I learned, and I think it was actually you, Ron, that showed me this, but, um, when you're editing snowy images or white images and you're trying to see that your whites are really white or as close to white as possible, there in Lightroom, the border that's around your image, I think it defaults to gray. Um, but you can actually change that to white. And it's such a simple thing, but that was a game changer for me. And it really helped me a ton with trying to calibrate and make sure my whites were really looking white. So... Um, that was a big one for me. And then this is another one that I think you showed me, Ron, um, when we were playing around one night. Uh, when you're adjusting any of your sliders in, in Lightroom, you can actually um, hold the Alt key down on a PC. I don't know what it is on a Mac, sorry. But on a PC, <laughs> you can hold the Alt key down. And Option, okay. Option or Alt. You can hold that down and move your slider, and you'll you'll see when you're going too far. It'll turn it to basically like a black and white, and it'll show you how much of the image it's impacting or how significant how significantly it's impacting your image. And that's kind of a quick little trip or tip too that has helped me in my editing process. But so easy ones, guys. I know, but and most people are probably like, yeah, where have you been? But uh, that's something I learned a few months ago and it helped a ton. So absolutely. And, you know, for the 15 people who didn't, or who could be far, far more who didn't know that. It's, no, it's probably two. No, maybe to help anybody. It's great. I mean, I hadn't heard that. That's fantastic. Uh, mine was just going to be 
you know, we've all been cooped up and not, not necessarily cooped up because we've still been able to get out and that kind of thing. But don't forget that, you know, as things start to get back to a sense of normalcy and you're getting back together with people just to get out there, you know, epic shiznit happens every day in the wild and we got to be out there to see it. We got to be out there to photograph it, be out there just to observe it. So get out, get away from people. That's honestly been the hardest thing for me with things kind of getting back going again is being around the number of people that I've been around lately. Um, Having had alone time for a year, almost I, I miss the quiet. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, I like to get out and just get away and enjoy the silence a little bit. You're becoming a hermit. <laughs> no, I'm not becoming a hermit. It just got solidified over the last year. I've been oh. a, I've been a hermit for a long time. <laughs> but that's you know you look at the images that people get, and it's it's not because they were sitting on their couch, and it's not because they were out there on a specific day in a specific area and on a specific animal. It's just because they were out there, you know, and, and observing and learning and. And then it makes it easier to predict where and how to get the shot. And I think that is critical that we just spend time out there, spend time observing like we always talk about, you know, learning behavior cues that most people wouldn't catch. So that's that's my last one. Just get out there. No, words to live by. I you know that's my motto. Got to get out there. Can't shoot those photos from the couch. So I love it. Yeah, and then this uh, guy that I've been, this company that I've been doing some work for, um, the guy that owns the company has got my new favorite quote, and my kids are already tired of hearing it. But the the value of what you learn when you try always outweighs the cost. And I think get out there and try something new. You know, try something new in your editing. Try something new in your shooting. Try something new just with your camera. Try something. Try some video if you never have. Even though you might not get the the end result that you're looking for the first time, what you learn in the process is is going to be worth the effort. Yeah, that's what photography is about. The visual joy of living life. It's an amazing planet. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, to another episode of Wild and Exposed. You can find more of our content on our website, wildandexposed.com. Lots to discover there. Check it out. All our previous podcasts going back over the years can be found there along with the show notes and the images and things that were talked about. Scroll through and find those that are the most appealing and and uh, have a listen. It's a lot of great content, a lot of fantastic guests over the years and, and more to come. Also, our YouTube channel, it's evolving all the time and, and videos are put up every week that we can and, and another one going up, well doesn't matter from when tonight's recorded, but another one tomorrow. They keep rolling. So check it out at Wild and Exposed Podcast on YouTube. On that platform, as well as our social media on Instagram and Facebook, uh, please give us a thumbs up, the positive reviews, as those help us to gain traction in this busy world of podcasting. I want to give a special quick shout-out to a few people who put stories about Wild and Exposed on their social media this week. Drew Hamilton, Joe Sabalowski, and Photogenetics and Jeanette, sorry, Photogenet in Norway. 
awesome. She put up the hat that she loves. She's wearing it in Norway. You can find the Wild and Exposed swag. As I've said before in other podcasts, it's good stuff. Our crew has ordered it. We wear it. We love it. It's a great company. So check that out. It helps to support our efforts as well. And uh, it's been great, guys. It's been too long. Jason, brother, live it up on this adventure. I can't wait to hear how it unfolds. And I know our listeners will be dialed in for a future podcast for that, where Jason is immersed in the world of brown bears and more. So super stoked. Heading out, heading out tomorrow from after this is recorded. But yeah, Michael, Alaska, keep living the dream. Up there, the long days in the summertime, never-ending energy. Ron, the guy who finally did it, stepped out into the world of professional photography, fulfilling the dream, shooting all kinds of stuff, video stills. High five, brother. Once again, everybody, thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in time.